Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Moms No Fluff, the podcast in which we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. I'm Iris Meller, and with me is my partner, Alma Schneider. And today we have a very special guest with us, but I'll let Alma introduce our guest. Okay, I get the pleasure of introducing Glenn Parker because he's in my neighborhood. He's a community member. Um, he is a lawyer at Parker Hansky LLC, where they deal with uh, disability rights. So um, Glenn, welcome. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming today. We try to talk about, you know, the parenting aspect of, of raising kids with disabilities, but um, we cannot do all that we need to do without people like you um, in our midst. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. It's, it's really my pleasure to be on. And I think, uh, honestly, what you guys do is great. There's a desperate need out there for this kind of information to be put out and, you know, for people not to feel alone when they're going through this. And that's really where you come in and sort of where I come in as well. It's helping people and helping them get the resources that they need and getting the accommodations and modifications that they need. So pretty much um, my law practice is, is focused in the New York state area. Um, primarily we do New York City, Westchester and Long Island. Um, what we do is we help the physically disabled get the accommodations that they need and modifications also that they need. So um, it goes in two phases, really, that, that our work. One is we represent a number of organizations with their missions, such as uh, the Fair Housing Justice Center. So what they will do is they will send out testers, um, which for some people out there that don't know what a tester is, you may have heard um, it used to be back in, you know, years ago, they would send out um, one um, African-American couple to see if they can rent an apartment. And then after a day later, they'd send a Caucasian couple out to see if they can rent that apartment. And lo and behold, they get two different answers mm -hmm. for the same building. Um, that is what testing is. And it's to see if a building is complying with the law because the law, as all of us know, prohibits that kind of discrimination. You, mm -hmm. you can't make a choice based on race. Now, the law has been extended over the years to various other uh, protections. And one of those is for the disabled community. So if a person has a physical disability, a developmental disability, any of those kind of things, those are protected. So a landlord cannot come in and see a family with a child who, let's say, has um, some sort of developmental disability that doesn't act in within the spectrum of what they would consider normal. And they say, you know something, I don't want that kind of child around in, in our community here. That's not appropriate. It would be too much of a bother. So we're not going to allow that, that person, that family to enter. 
that's discrimination. And that's the kind of work that I do in terms of suing um, buildings to make sure that that kind of stuff does not happen. Sometimes a building will have a policy, let's say about emotional assistance animals. Um, and there are, as we know now from the two wars that we've had, um, a lot of veterans have come back scarred mentally. And it doesn't show, you know, when you look at them, they may look fine, but, you know, they need that emotional assistance animal. And some buildings will have outright prohibition saying no pets. And what you need to realize, too, about, you know, the kind of um, with these kind of policies or hurdles that you'll may run into is that what the law requires is that the landlord or the employer or the house or the um, business make an exception for the disabled to allow them to come into a um, into a space and even though the disabled family may be breaking the rules they need to make that exception in order for the disabled community to access it um, one recent example that I just had is a family with a personal care assistant, which is, you know, as many of you know, uh, some families will have that for their child. And the personal care assistant was taking the child into a um, the gym of the building to use the pool. And the building said, hey, you know something? You've got to pay. That personal care assistant is, is not a member. You've got to pay for that for their membership. And that actually is not allowed. The law says that in order for that child to have the same enjoyment, they need that personal care assistant to be with them. It's an extension of themselves. So as long as the child is a member, the personal care assistant can come in. Um, and the same thing actually was a, a big court case with a, a museum in, in Philadelphia where they were trying to charge uh, the personal care assistant, you know, an extra fee to come in. And the court said, no, no, you, you just, you have this all wrong. They, that person is, is part of the disabled person. Essentially they're considered one because they're needed in order to use, the, use the place. Um, so that's I know lot. I kind of gave a long-winded answer, but I think with these examples that I've just given, they kind of explain the work that I, I do and, and try to help people out. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I uh, I like what you're saying. I obviously uh, my daughter is uh, wandering around always with uh, an attendant and uh, and a service dog. So it's yes. uh, all of those issues that are issues that our family personally uh, faced, including discrimination when we showed up to an apartment to try if the power wheelchair would fit in and the uh, owner of the apartment said, well, it's a, an old building. This is a too heavy wheelchair. You, we can't have you here, etc." That was way back in California. Never mind. I just want to kind of uh, say that I think most of our listeners are probably listening to you and like, aha, aha, you're giving us ammunition and, and a little bit more power in our advocacy. So yes. I wanted to ask you, Glenn, how did you become involved in, uh, in law in the first place? Why did you even choose to become a lawyer? Sure. Um, I, I, you know, I'd like to say that I had some profound moment growing up where I decided I wanted to be a lawyer, but it didn't, it, it actually didn't happen like that. There's no, you know, great Hollywood story here. It's, um, you know, I, I graduated from college in 1991. At that point, there was a big recession. I'd wanted to, you know, see if I could get a job that was be 
you know, I, I think at the time I wanted to be something in real estate, but I had no idea really what I wanted at, you know, at age 22. Um, and all my friends were going to law school at the time, you know, my, uh, my peer group, I should say. And so I decided to give it a try. It seemed, you know, something good. I never really thought of myself actually as being a litigation lawyer, which is the kind of work that I do now. I always thought I'd be on the more business side. Um, but, you know, I went to law school and afterwards I started uh, practicing. I went into a job and I spent the first 10 years of, or 15 years really of practice on the defense side um, and doing litigation. And for some reason, litigation has come naturally to me. Um, maybe because, uh, you know, I grew up in a more conflict-oriented family, so conflict just came naturally to me, and I can understand it and see through it and work it, um, and so it's it sort of, you know, those, that, that dynamic, I, it's not something that, you know, puts me off. I actually get energized by it, and it's a game, um, you know, so that's really where I started and it, it's something that, uh, to my surprise, I, I actually like it. Um, and, um, you know, you may hear a lot of lawyers, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not crazy about it. And, you know, it's, it pays the bills. It's a, you know, prestigious job. But for me, I actually enjoy what I do. Um, you know, as shocking as, as that, I, I never thought I was going to enjoy this as much as, you know, because it is a game for me. Um, and, you know, while you hear that, you may think I don't take it seriously, but I, I kind of think about it like you need objectivity. Mm -hmm. You know, for you as parents, you're involved in this day in, day out. It's very, very hard to be objective. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when it's kind of like when, a, uh, you know, I see a doctor or a surgeon, and I hear surgeons talk about like they just, they just see a body. They don't know who it is. They just mm -hmm. see a body and they go to work. And for me, you know, it, it, I look at, you know, a lot of times it's the work I do with, you know, the cases are just individual cases. And so like, I can look at them without all the drama and the emotion involved and see, all right, how am I getting from point A to point B and getting the results I need without, you know, the feelings of hostility and, and the feelings of needing to, you know, some people want to inflict pain on the other side and you know you just try to push all that stuff aside and say listen at the end of the day you really need these things and focus on that mm -hmm. um and so that's you know what i'm able to do and i, I enjoy it um uh, the biggest part that I, I actually you know really love is every you know about like once a year I get a, I get a phone call from a client crying that they're so happy that they finally got what they needed to get, and you know they had spent you know two years trying to get there, begging their landlord, please put in this ramp. I can't get in. I can't get in. And the landlord kept pushing them aside, and then I get involved, and within a, two months, it's done. Isn't that and, amazing? Isn't yeah. that amazing? Well. Thank goodness there are people like you dealing with our types of situations. But how did you get into disability sure. law specifically? A lot of people have family members or kids. What was your journey to, to come to, to disability rights? Yeah, um, you know, it, it started out where I was, you know, as I said before, I was practicing on the defense side. So mm -hmm. in the beginning of my career, I was representing all these 
big Fifth Avenue and Park Avenue co-op and condo corporations. And, you know, we've all heard about, you know, the crazy stories, but in actuality, a lot of that's true. You know, there's a lot of big personalities, but a number of the cases that I was dealing with were, you know, these disability rights cases. And I would go into these meetings and try to explain the law to the, to the board of directors and the hostility that I would receive in the, um, the, the lack of, you know, like insight, uh, you know, for example, a lot of times where, you know, these boards would come back and say, you know, something that person's not disabled. They don't, she doesn't need a parking, a reserved parking spot. I, I've seen her walking. And I said, really? You know, is this, is this true? Like, and, you know, I did it a lot on the defense side. And, and also what I saw for a big part of it was like how in, incompetent or how, um, what poor service a lot of the, you know, the plaintiffs, the people who needed the work, how they were, they were really weren't being served to the fullest extent that they needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because a lot of the lawyers didn't really quite understand the law that they were working with. Um, you know, and I can go into this later, but at least for New York, you know, there's, there's three levels of government, as we all know, there's the federal law, which is top, near you know your state law and then your local law which is like your city law um but each one is very different and for example in new york city the new york city law is you know provides so much more protection than what the federal law does and so for example um you can have situations where a landlord will say something that's true under federal law but not true under the new york city law so that's the kind of disinformation that they're getting. And it kind of forces the disabled to sort of accept it. Um, and you know, a quick example of that is under the Fair Housing Act, which is the federal law, a landlord does not have to pay for a physical modification to your apartment or the building. So let's say you needed your doors widened in the bathroom in order to get through because you know most doors, uh, bathroom doors are kind of narrow. You generally need about 32 inches for a wheelchair uh, to make it through a door. Um, the landlord could say under the fair housing law, the federal law, hey, you can do it, but you've got to pay for it to be done. And when you leave, you've got to bring it back to where it was beforehand. That's true under federal law, but the city law actually says, no, you, the landlord, you've got to do it and you've got to pay for it. Wow. Now that's crazy. That seems so crazy that there are all these differences. And, you know, it just brings to mind how important it is to have somebody in your corner who, who is going to be fighting for this. Is this something that is, um, are there free lawyers, pro bono lawyers who do this work? Because all of, I always go to, what if somebody's you know, underprivileged. And what if somebody does not have the money to pay someone like you? How does that work? So that's one good thing about the law, which mm-hmm. is um, the at least the cases that I work on. Uh-huh. We are able to um, work on a on a basis where the discriminator, the landlord, the employer, whoever's discriminating against you, is the one that's responsible to pay. The legal fees and that's written in the law itself Good. so a disabled person many times doesn't have to pay me a dime and i don't take that 
I, it's not like I, I build them. It's it's called fee shifting under the law. But the law is specifically written that if you know if the if the tenant or the disabled person is successful in their lawsuit, then the other side has to pay for it completely. And you know, and other and there are plenty of situations where not only does the landlord have to pay for you know my fees. But they also have to pay damages to the to the disabled person for the emotional harm that they suffered. If let's say they drag their feet in in providing a you know a walk-in tub or um, or you know denied an emotional assistance uh, animal for you know in a reasonable period of time, you know a number of months when the person needed it right away, you know that that's that's something that they should be compensated for. Um, so by and large, you know, money should not be an issue to enforcing your rights. And, you know, my advice would be that if you're going to retain an attorney, you should tr pretty much try to make sure that that attorney is not going to be charging you. Okay. Um, at least if it's if and that's for a discrimination case, um, because those are the areas where the law understood that the disabled community is not very wealthy. In fact, most of them are on some form of government assistance, and so how could how could they afford a lawyer? It's it's un, you know it's law uh, you know don't get me started on you know how expensive <laughs> law is and how expensive you know it is to litigate. It's just it's obscene. Um, but you know something that's not your problem as a disabled you know or per family with with a person with a disability. You know that's not something that should be that's that should be in your head that shouldn't stop you because a lawyer should be able to take your case without taking any money from you okay and you know once that once you once that sinks into here you realize oh yeah you know I the can world do is this. our oyster in terms exactly of <laughs> exactly I should be able to do it um and you know uh, part of it also is you know a, a good lawyer will listen to you and, and tell you if the case is worthwhile or not mm -hmm. um, because you know where you look at it it's got to be something where you know if the if you lose if I lose the case that's all on me you know um, so uh, you know I pick my cases very carefully and because of that the chances of success are much higher mm -hmm. for what I do um, so Next question. <laughs> okay. My next question to you is, what do you find is the most challenging part of your work? Okay. Um, I think it's the kind of work I do is, I'd say writing, um, it, it varies. Like most lawyers in the very beginning are, are, you know, when they practice, very nervous about everything. They're nervous about going to court. They're nervous about doing a deposition and nervous about a trial. Um, but as you go on, you start losing that nervousness. You know, you do it enough. Um, but I think for me, you know, I, I'm past the nervousness on, on any of those things. I could do, you know, a deposition in an hour if I needed to. I just, you know, it's, I've done it so many times. I know the rhythm and I know how, what I need to go to. Um, but I'd say the most difficult aspect has to do when I have some housing cases and somebody needs, let's say, 10 things in order, you know, for them to fully enjoy their apartment. 
And the landlord will come back in and say, you know something, I'm only going to give you three right now. And if you don't take it, I'm not going to offer you anything else. And, you know, a lot of times I'll tell them, you know, you, you should hold out and wait. And sometimes they really can't. And so they'll just say, I'll take what, what you want, what you're accepting. Um, and, you know, I have to abide by what their, you know, what their wishes are, but it's frustrating in that I know that I can get them more, but time is not on their side. And, you know, sometimes they need that, that accommodation right now and they're willing to compromise. So that's for me is, is sad. Um, and, you know, it's disheartening, but, you know, early on in my career, I had a case where I, you know, I was, it was one of my first trials and I was really going at it. I was so gung ho and enjoying it. And halfway through the trial, the people above me settled the case, you know, they all did it. And I remember I was with my client who was a famous television producer and I'm sitting down and I'm all dejected and I'm like, I can't believe they did it. And he said, he looks at me, he goes, son, sometimes the coach just pulls you. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And that hit. And I'm like, okay, I can go from here, you know? And that's, that's the way it is, you know, with those kind of like fair housing. Sometimes you just got to like step back and say, all right, this is, this is it. And you've been pulled from the case. That's it. Go on. Yeah. And the R line for that is perfect is the enemy of the good. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Right? I mean, yeah. sometimes, but then you have those people who call you once a year crying and they lift you up. So that's, yes. <laughs> you got the good and the, the good and the bad. Um, yeah. So we know that you are also, in addition to your work and your family, um, you are involved in the Disability Pride Parade in New York City. Can you talk a little bit about your role there? Sure. So I am also the, um, the vice president of the Disability Pride Parade in New York City. And what it is, is a celebration of all uh, for the entire disabled community. So it's a parade modeled very much um, like any other pride parade, such as the uh, gay pride parade, or even, you know, any other kind of um, parade where they're having, um, it's not a politically motivated parade. It's something where you go out and everybody marches. And so we'll have various organizations, you know, marching with a banner. We try to get a lot of uh, sports um, groups involved, like hand cyclists, well, you know, march as a, as a group, and you know, it's a wonderful day, and it's really enjoyable. And I think what it does for a, a lot of people is it makes you feel like you're part of a community. And you know, many times you'll go around and you'll feel isolated. You know, you'll feel like you know that this is some area you know I don't want to be in, or I don't want to draw too much attention to myself. Um, this is a is a day and a place where you can feel comfortable. And that's a big thing. It really is. And it's also a place where you can meet other people going through the same kind of things that you're going through and bond, Yeah. you know? Um, and the, the last thing also about it is that we also have booths at, at the, you know, at where the parade ends and there's entertainment, um, you know, various, uh, people with disabilities that are giving performances, whether it be music or poetry and the like. Um, and there will be booths from the various New York City and, and New York State agencies out there that, you know, will 
tell you the kind of help that you can get and the kind of services they provide. Yeah. And they have pamphlets and, you know, it, that, that is so invaluable because it's rare to get that, you know, all in one place. But it also is, is the thing where you're not just getting a piece of paper. There's a person there that you can talk to mm-hmm. and say, hey, I have this situation. Can you help me? Yeah. Um, Iris so and I both attended the parade. I went to the very first uh, parade in New York. Uh, our family is friends with the person who founded the parade, who started the parade years ago. We still have the t-shirt from that very first yes. year. And uh, it's really, if you haven't been, I would even suggest coming in to New York City if you don't even live here and participate. Because it is truly, um, it, it's exactly what you said. You feel like you're a part of a community and it does give you a feeling of pride. A lot of people do feel isolated and um, I just remember how meaningful it was for my whole family to go. We've been a number of times, um, and usually it happens in the summer. But is it? It's later yes. on this year, isn't it? When is it? Yes. So, yeah. So what happened with um, with COVID, of course, is everybody. You know, we've been on this big pause, mm-hmm. and so the parade did not go forward in 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 twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one, and we decided that since you know we're restarting the parade this year. Um, that we should make it to a month where it's not that hot. Um, you know, July, it was typically in the middle of July, like this past weekend, and it would be incredibly hot and difficult for a lot of people to show up, you know, and I, I really, you know, it bothered me in a sense that to hear that some people were actually deterred and said, you know, I, I can't, it's not safe for me to be out like, you know, in this kind of heat and this weather, especially in the city itself. Um, so we decided to move it to October 2nd, and that's our date, it's, you know, set in stone now. Um, and, <laughs> you know, yes. And, you know, the, the, also you have to understand that, you know, if you're not from New York City, you should know that the root of the parade is probably what I consider one of the most beautiful parts of Manhattan. It starts at Madison Square Park, which is not Madison Square Garden, but Madison Square Park, which is a beautiful park on 23rd Street and then marches from there to 14th Street. So it's only seven blocks. And at, um, at well, actually, it's a little bit less than uh, 14th Street. It's Union Square at around 16th Street. Um, and it goes to Union Square Park, which is another beautiful park area. And it, it's a great um, location to even just shop around and just walk around the neighborhood because the architecture is beautiful and there's so many interesting stores there and, and the like. So I, I would just recommend it, you know, if you're for a sightseeing day too, because it's a nice add-on. But, you know, at the same time, it's just, it, it's a beautiful, you know, it's not a, it's not a hard march, you know, in that, you know, you're going to be going too far. You feel like you're going too far. It's just long enough to make it enjoyable and short enough that, you know, you're finally at your destination. You can take a break and, you know, there are so many good restaurants around there, too, I can yeah. recommend. Um, and I love that people, just like in any other parade, if you remember, Iris, people are on the sidewalks screaming and clapping for the people who are in the parade. And it's how often do people applaud people with disabilities and their floats? I mean, it's really, you know, it's not like a pity Probably. thing. It's like, yeah, you go. It's It's a really beautiful day and i'm glad that it's not a summer because it has been very hot every time we've gone like exactly. hot. 
So yes, we heard that from the community. That was the big thing that we heard from the community that, you know, the July parade was always too hot. And, you know, we, we took that into consideration and said, you know, something, let's, let's really, you know, let's try October. And I think October 2nd should, is generally beautiful in Manhattan. Um, So it, it, you know, the gods should be looking down on us and, you know, it should be all good. Um, but yeah, I, I highly recommend it for everyone to show up. You can go on the website um, or you can contact me if you have any questions about the parade or if you have part of a group, um, you know, you can march as a group. It just needs to be registered in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the more the merrier. And it's really such a day of acceptance and such a day of, you know, uh, of happiness, as I, I like to say. Yeah, and that and the New York City Parade inspired us to start one in Montclair. So now we have an annual Montclair Disability Pride Parade. So it's you know a few of these exists, and we're trying to you know it'd be great if every city, every town had one. Iris, will you be starting one in Midland, Michigan? Definitely on my to do <laughs> list. High on my to do list. I'm actually going to mention it today in my event and. Uh, I think that what the both of you said is so true. It's uh, it's so empowering to be in a celebration day like that, that you feel that you are a part of a larger community, that you can meet other parents and other adults with disabilities that are advocates. And it's, uh, it's important also to know what's available around. And by meeting other people, you see other pieces of equipment that might be relevant to your child. You can chit chat with other people and learn a lot about uh, challenges that other families are dealing with and it helps you in your journey. I think uh, my kids um, that attended a few times loved the day and loved the event and when we were once abroad when the uh, Pride Parade, Disability Pride Parade was on, they were like very disappointed that we're missing out on it. So (laughs) definitely a worthy event. Glenn, before we kind of uh, end our conversation today, I have a final question for you. I think, Alma, maybe you have another one afterwards, but what is your recommendation for parents? How would you encourage parents to be better advocate for their children with disabilities? I know you have a lot of experience and uh, what can the average parents do to kind of excel in that field? You know, I, I think it's, you know, some people use this term, I don't know, I'm sure all of us have heard of the term networking, mm-hmm. but I like to think about it, you know, as to applying for, for parents, is that talk to other people, talk to everyone, because you'd be surprised what other people know or who they know and how they can help you. I also would say that, you know, for your situ, for anybody's situation, a lot of times you may think that there's only one option available to you, but if you ultimately search around and you find a professional to help you or some organization to help you, they'll show you another five options you'd never considered about, and those can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's at least in the New York City area, there's the independent living centers. Um, you know, there's uh, BCID in uh, Brooklyn. There's Sydney CIDNY in in Manhattan. I mean, you can find these organizations if you do a simple web search. Um, Try to get involved with a community for wherever you are and, you know, get the advice of that community because the larger you make your community, the better you're going to serve your family. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that I've, you know, there's, you know, they say knowledge is power. And yes, Google is good, but, you know, uh, it, it can take you down paths that are just, you know, rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's best to get real advice from real people dealing with the same situation. So find a support group. I know Alma has something like that, that she she does. And that is so invaluable because that's exactly what I'm talking about. You go to one of those kind of meetings that, you know, Alma, Alma has, and you start, you, you have the group and somebody's going to have an idea there or something that they're going to mention that you're going to say, wow, that's great. I could use that too. And that would help me. Yeah. So, you know, the biggest thing is don't do this alone. Okay. There's, there's resources out there to help you, you know, in this day and age, there are groups and you can find, you know, even if you're in some isolated community, you can find some group on the, on the internet that can yeah. help. Two moms we have one. Yeah. Exactly. We have a two moms. No, we have one here, you know, specific to our area, but we have a two moms, no fluff disability, uh, parenting kids with disability support group online on Facebook. So anybody in the world can be in our group and ask questions about where they live. And we just, you know, I, I love what you're saying because it's something that we are just constantly trying to um, instill in everyone that community is really the most important thing for emotional support and for practical support. There's more power in numbers. It's the hive mind where everybody contributes something that they've learned along their path that they can share with other people. And we always say, you don't know what you don't know. And if you have someone there who's had even a somewhat similar situation, you're going to learn something that you didn't know existed. And we're all going to move, you know, move policy if there are a lot of us working together. So I'm really glad. I'm really glad that you mentioned that as like the number one thing to really. Yeah, I, I couldn't stress it more. And Alma, and, I, and you know, I know just before I was talking about getting information, but you struck a, Alma, you said something that, that kind of hit me, which is I think the emotional part about it too for people. Yes. To feel that they're not alone in the struggle and, you know, to have somebody that they can, you know, uh, share their feelings with, mm-hmm. that's somebody that, that's actually going to understand what they're saying. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be uh, somebody that, you know, you talk to that that's not living it. Yeah. So yeah. you're living it. And if you are with other people that are living it, it's going to make you emotionally feel a lot better and charge you up yes. to to tackle whatever issues you have. Yeah, and that is such a such a key point. And we always talk about like you have to put your oxygen mask on first. And having <laughs> yes. the emotional stability and comfort. Yes. In your situation is going to allow us to be more focused and be able to get the services that we need for our kids. If we're not, you know, I love what you said early on about your objective. You know, you are in this this situation. You have the objectivity, so you don't have the hostility or the pain that the families have so you're you can oftentimes have a clearer mind to do what you need to do because you don't have all the you know it's a proven fact that if you're so caught up in your emotions you cannot think straight like it's really hard so we as parents have to calm ourselves and people who have disabilities we really have to brace ourselves for IEP meetings and going in for the fight and I'm sure you have to do that as well but not as much if you're not living it so it's it's so important to have people who get it and and be able to to move forward from a calm calmer I'm never I'm not going to ever say calm but a calmer a calmer place so thank you for doing the work that you're doing if people want to contact you we're going to be 
you know, we'll post, uh, you know, the, the episode on social media, but right here, if there's, can people reach out to you if they have a question? Sure, or absolutely, absolutely. What's your contact? Um, yeah, so, I mean, the best way to contact me is by email. Okay. So my email address is GHP, that's Glenn Howard Parker, at parkerhansky.com. That's P-A-R-K-E-R. H-A-N-S-K-I.com. And, you know, just shoot me an email and I can generally be able to respond fairly quickly and point you in the right direction. Great. Well, thank you so much, Iris. Anything else you have for? No, I just want to thank you again for your time and the information you shared with us and our listeners today. That was really important. And I am grateful to you doing the work that you do and helping the disability community one person at a time. Thank you. And we're so lucky we have him in Montclair, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could I, actually, I could be anywhere right now. And, oh, you know, yeah. um, so that's the way it is. But really, you know, thank you guys for doing this, for, you know, reaching out to people and, you know, making their voice heard and making them feel like, you know, it's not just them. Um, so you guys just do something wonderful and I'm happy to be part of the community. Thank you. Thank right. you. All right. Well, if anybody has any comments about things that they've dealt with with disability um, rights, please put it in the comments on our Facebook, Instagram page, and um, we will see you next week. Thanks for being here. Thank Take you. care. Bye. For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.